Due to the graphic nature of this haunted place, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes a dramatization of domestic violence, harm against minors, murder, and torture. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Mr. Matasita had only been looking for a new life for his family. It seemed odd to cross a whole ocean to find a job, but he had to provide for them and keep them safe. It was a strange world they lived in. They all worked hard, and finally, they earned enough to purchase a small building in Lima, away from the boats and the smell. It was everything they'd hoped for. Mr. Matasita wasn't satisfied. He didn't tell his family about the dreams he had of a dark-eyed woman lit by an orange glow. How softly she whispered to him, calling him home. He began to neglect his family. When he came home, he slept so he could dream of her, so he could run his fingers through the flames that enveloped her body. They did not burn or crackle. They soothed him like a warm bath. At night, he belonged to her, and he was happy. In the waking hours, he was racked with guilt. He closed up shop early one afternoon, hoping to surprise his wife, maybe make up for how distant he had been. He was climbing the stairs to their second floor apartment when he heard a laugh, then a moan, a masculine grunt. He tiptoed up the stairs, every giggle and gasp a dagger in his heart. He had felt guilty for dreams, and she did this? He felt a fire rise within him, red hot, snapping and hungry. A warm hand squeezed his shoulder, guiding his fingers to a cleaver his wife used to butcher the chickens. He felt those soothing flames again as his dark-eyed beauty appeared, cooing to him, consoling. He didn't deserve this treatment. There was only one proper response. He raised his cleaver, and he opened the bedroom door. Welcome to Haunted Places, a ParCast original. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. You can find all episodes of Haunted Places for free on Spotify. And every Tuesday, make sure to check out Urban Legends. These special episodes of Haunted Places are available exclusively on Spotify. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to La Casa Matasita in Lima, Peru, a second-floor apartment with a violent history that allegedly dates back to the 16th century. And discover why, to this day, it's haunted. We'll climb the stairs to La Casa Matasita after this. In many ways, La Casa Matasita is more legend than a place. Whispers surrounded in its neighborhood in Lima, Peru, and none of the stories about it entirely match. They weave in and out of each other, never forming a complete picture. Various businesses have operated on the first floor of the two-story building, near the intersection of España and Garcilaso de la Vega avenues. But the top-floor apartment rarely manages to keep an occupant. Though each window that lines the wall is surrounded by cheery golden-orange paint and teal trim, 
the place somehow always feels dark and closed in. Visitors find themselves assaulted by violent but unseen forces, tortured cries, and flying objects. A priest who attempted to exercise the building was heard screaming before he was found dead due to an apparent heart attack. The name itself derives from one of the legends surrounding La Casa Matusita. The legend tells of a Japanese immigrant by the name of Matusita who killed his wife and her lover after discovering them in flagrante. When he realized his children would never forgive him, he killed them as well before taking his own life. There are no historical records confirming this quadruple homicide ever occurred, but allegedly there are property records that say an immigrant family did occupy the building at some point. It is likely the name stuck due to rampant xenophobic sentiment in Peru during the first half of the 20th century. Japanese immigrants began coming to Peru at the end of the 1800s, and their numbers grew in decades that followed. By the 1940s, however, anti-Japanese rioting and protests broke out in Lima, a result of long-standing xenophobia and the pressures of World War II. The idea of an East Asian immigrant holding a property like La Casa Machacita would stick in the minds of xenophobic Peruvians. But the legends of dark happenings at La Casa Machacita date back centuries before Mr. Machacita would have set foot in South America. The origin story of this haunting is actually about a very different kind of immigrant. Dervaspa knew they were coming for her. She thought that her neighbors might be more understanding here than they'd been in Europe. But she learned, however, that hatred looks the same no matter where she went. When she was little, Dervaspa's father told her that her blood, the blood of Persia's Safavid dynasty, was the most rare in the world. And while Dervaspa had been blessed with keen wit and a sharp tongue, she was a long way from Persia, and the Peruvian locals had no qualms about reminding her. Not only did they find her form of prayer abhorrent, they resented the fact that she lived alone. She didn't need anyone to provide for her. When people found themselves in trouble, she was the one to help them out with herbs and healing hands. She expected their protection in return, but even they bowed to the conquistadors. She tried not to blame them. Many of her neighbors could still recall when the Inca had ruled this land and not the Spanish. Some said they had seen the fires that had burned the great general Chalcuchimac. They had heard the threats of Pizarro to burn their now-murdered Emperor Atahualpa, too. The Spanish said they were the fires of God, and like Dervaspa's talents, her neighbors called it magic. Dervaspa always corrected them. Magic was a tool for evil, not a way to Allah or to their gods. She had never chosen that path to darkness, but the Inquisitors did not care. Under cover of darkness, they stole into her house. She awoke to the sounds of tables being overturned and metal bowls clanging against the floor. Dervaspa tried to run. She wasn't fast enough. Hands seized her. With their thin-lipped smiles and beady eyes, these men looked more like overgrown insects in the torchlight. Their rapid Spanish fired like bullets, faster than her mind could translate. Dervaspa took comfort in the courage that flowed through her blood. They might try to spill it, but they could not succeed. 
It took more wit than they could manage to vanquish someone like her. They could not trap her. She would not confess. She would see the fire as Moses did, and she would behold the truth her faith held above all. The veil of the universe lifted for all to see. They dragged her through the street. Clumps of dirt clung to her nightgown. Pebbles embedded themselves into her feet. A platform had been erected. She'd never seen anything like it. A long wooden pole jutted out of the ground. There was a beam across the top of it, but little else. She didn't entirely understand what it was going to be used for. There was no noose. They weren't planning to hang her. What did the platform do? People were starting to gather, as if waiting for a show. She had lived in fear of the Inquisition ever since her family had fled to Europe and then Peru. Her father had warned her that in Spain, the Inquisition hid their sins in dark, damp basements. He said they did this to protect themselves from Allah's light. In the New World, the Inquisitors did not care. They weren't standing on land stolen from the Muslims. They had even more contempt for the Inca. They would not hide. They would make her the city's entertainment and their warning. They bound her hands with rope. The scratchy material was already digging into her skin, painfully. Soon, her fingers would go numb. She wondered if that would be a blessing or a curse. They brought her to the platform and turned her to face the crowd. She felt something tug against her restraints. Dervaspa wished she had eyes in the back of her head so she could see what was happening. A second later, she heard a soft thump. The energy in the crowd shifted. The curiosity on the white faces around her was replaced with unbridled glee. The lingering Inca shrank back. They knew what was about to happen, even if Dervaspa did not. An inquisitor stepped in front of her. He read a list of charges. She could barely follow his speech, but one word kept sticking out. Bruja. Witch. She didn't get a moment to argue. The rope tied to her hands jerked, and she was yanked upwards. Understanding dawned on her as her feet left the ground. This is what the platform was used for. A different sort of hanging. They would tear her arms from her body if that was what it took to get a confession. She hovered 10 feet above the ground, then 12. Her joints twisted with the weight of holding her up. The strain was too much. Every nerve in her body screamed. She wasn't sure that she could withstand it. The Inquisitor asked her to admit her crimes. Der Vaspa would never feel guilty for helping people who needed it. She wasn't using witchcraft. She was using medicine. She helped people. It was a mandate of her religion. Nothing about her work was sinful. She felt her left arm pull out of its sockets with a strange cracking pop. Her palms were numb, but her shoulder sockets were stinging. She couldn't hold her feelings in. She cried out. The Inquisitor asked again. Dervaspa refused to let him win. Black spots burst in front of her eyes. Her body swung wildly through the air. She could feel the pressure building in her remaining arm. 
Her chest heaved as she tried to set her jaw against the pain. Her blood held power in it. She focused on the stories of her father, ignoring the Inquisitor's cruel smile. Their Vespa knew this couldn't last. Her right arm would give out soon enough, and then, if she was lucky, they'd kill her. But death was not the end. It did not have to be. She could choose the placid, peaceful truth of Allah, or she could give in to her anger. She could draw on the powers from before the time of the prophets. She could demand the very earth be her vengeance. She could give in to evil. She made her decision. The last few tendons gave way in her arm. Her arms went limp, useless, nothing more than cords suspending her from the scaffold. She wondered if gravity would eventually pull them completely from her body. It seemed almost preferable. She would not be cowed by pain or shame. These pretenders could mangle her body, but her soul would linger long enough to mete out her own form of justice. Someone let go of the rope and she tumbled to the ground. Her arms lay limply on either side of her torso. She couldn't feel them anymore. The Inquisitor stood over her with a smile. Dervaspa rolled over and spat in his face. She would never confess to false sins just to please them. They had their show. They would get nothing more from her. She would make blood rain upon the soil. They set her dress on fire and watched her burn. The trouble at La Casa Matisita is said to have begun when a Persian woman named Dervaspa Parvene was killed by the Spanish Inquisition because she was said to be a witch. According to legend, she cursed the land where she died, saying no one would be able to make a home there. When the Spanish Inquisition operated on the European continent, many of their acts of torture and murder occurred in the shadows. Dark dungeons concealed their cruelty to avoid criticism from any sympathetic politicians or nobles. But in the New World, they were brazen, as they worked independently of the Spanish authorities. They conducted public torture to control the occupied Inca, who had been forced to convert to Catholicism or face burning at the stake. Methods of intimidation and violence included the strapado, a practice of suspending victims in the air by their bound hands so their arms would dislocate. All that is left of Dervaspa Parvene in written history is her name. The bloody history of the land she supposedly cursed remains a heavy reminder of the horrors visited upon the Peruvians by the Spanish. Up next, the building erected on cursed ground gets a cruel new occupant. Hi, it's Greg. If you're looking to add some more fun to your feed, subscribe to Parcast Network's new show, Incredible Feats. Every weekday, comedian Dan Cummins, who you might recognize from the hit podcast, Time Suck, explores an unbelievable account of physical strength, mental focus, or bizarre behavior. Don't miss the story of the man who broke the sound barrier while skydiving from the edge of space. 
or the harrowing tale of a 17-year-old girl who survived alone in a rainforest for 11 days after her plane broke apart mid-air, or the ultramarathoner whose rare genetic condition lets him run for days without stopping. Incredible Feet spotlights mind-blowing achievements of everyone from world-class athletes and record-breakers to scientists, architects, artists, and more. Search Incredible Feats and follow free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the story. The source of La Casa Matasita's original curse is said to be the murder of a Persian woman accused of witchcraft in the 16th century. But there are no reports of the supernatural for at least 200 years. The most popular story of the building is also considered to be the source of the majority of its paranormal activity. Visitors and residents have reported screams of anguish, visions of graphic violence, and the malevolent attack of forces so evil that they have been said to have scared a Catholic priest to death. This story takes place sometime before the immigrant named Matisita supposedly killed his family on the premises, giving the apartment its name. But similar tensions of class and race appear in the building's most famous legend, where a quest for good old-fashioned revenge goes terribly wrong. This building had a tight hold on Alfonso. He would have quit long ago if not for the French doors and moldings. Living on the streets sometimes seemed preferable to the exacting demands of his employer, Ferdinand. He was rude, controlling, and delighted in abusing the staff. But Alfonso loved the building, even if he didn't love its master. He loved cleaning the balustrades and washing the glass inlays in the doorways until they shone. Alfonso loved to take care of beautiful things. As he polished the silver for an upcoming dinner party, he felt someone watching him. Ferdinand frequently oversaw the tasks and would smack you with a switch if he thought you weren't handling things with proper care. Alfonso braced himself accordingly. But instead of the smack of the switch, Alfonso heard a deep, throaty laugh. He turned around to see a woman in a simple outfit. The material was nicer than most servants could afford, but she lacked the ornamentation that accompanied ladies of distinction. She introduced herself as Dev, a new hire, and took a seat next to Alfonso. He continued his work. There was no telling where Ferdinand might be lurking. Alfonso would not get the switch because some woman had decided to eschew her chores. As if she could hear his thoughts, Dev told Alfonso not to worry about Ferdinand anymore. She placed a small pouch on the table. It smelled of lemongrass and worm seed. Dev told Alfonso that he could humiliate Ferdinand by using the contents of the pouch. Inside was a simple trick to reveal what a sham Ferdinand was. Dev stared at him for a long moment, her gaze undecipherable. He heard the crack of the switch from the other room. Alfonso turned his head to glance at the doorway. When he turned back around, Dev was gone. Perhaps this wasn't a servant after all. Could he have been blessed by a visit from the goddess herself, the Earth and Time Mother, Pachamama? Alfonso knew better than to reject a goddess, if she was one. He took the pouch. 
The herb sat heavily in his pocket as he went about his tasks. He could feel its power as though it was a hot coal. He'd heard that this mixture could make you see things that weren't there. Ferdinand was having several esteemed guests over for dinner that very evening. He wondered if he should wait a little in order to think this through, but he wouldn't get a better opportunity for humiliation. If Alfonso could sneak the herbs into his soup, his employer would make a fool of himself and never know why. It was easy enough to slip into the kitchen. People were buzzing around like mosquitoes. Fear lingered in the air. They all knew that one small misstep would leave them with a scar, if they were lucky. If they weren't, they'd be out in the street covered in bruises and without a position. The cook portioned out the soup. Alfonso emptied the pouch into the most ornate bowl they had. Ferdinand was the kind of host who preferred to give himself the best china. Lemongrass perfumed the air as the herbs disappeared into fragrant broth. He wanted to linger and breathe in the steam, but he had his own post to manage. He held the doors open as the guests filed into the dining room that he'd cleaned for the past several days. The room shined, but Ferdinand was still not happy with it. He claimed that his blind grandmother could have done a better job. Alfonso swallowed his pride. Soon, Ferdinand's friends would see him for the embarrassment that he truly was. He would get what he deserved. The maids followed along, placing each bowl in front of each guest. The last and most ornate one landed in front of their master. Alfonso smiled softly as he turned back towards the kitchen. Ferdinand had ordered the doors be shut. The group needed privacy from the prying ears of the staff. Alfonso dutifully closed the doors and waited. Dev hadn't been clear in what he could expect. Peals of laughter would be great. He would love to open the door and find everyone pointing and laughing at the man who controlled his life. Someone banged on the door. Alfonso's hand lingered on the knob. He wouldn't put it past Ferdinand to try and test his servants for the group's amusement. There was an insistence to the sound that was unnerving. Either someone was very committed to the joke, or something was very wrong. Then came the screams, the yelling. Alfonso was an empathetic man, so he reached for the knob. But as his fingers touched the bronze, the noises stopped. He'd been right. It was some sort of trick. A scream shook the doorframe. Several others followed. One of the maids rushed forward, but Alfonso held up his hand. He placed his ear against the wood, but he couldn't hear anything. Not the sound of silverware or of breathing. He could feel something pushing against the door. He didn't know if it was a group of people or just one. The force was hard to gauge, but the desperation was clear. A muffled cry started up, then grew louder. Alfonso could barely think. Unless Ferdinand commanded the door open, Alfonso would not open it. He couldn't. Ferdinand would fire him on the spot. But the screams were terrible. Like the sound of a gong, they reverberated against the wall. He couldn't escape them. Desperate, Alfonso ducked down to the keyhole in the door, squinting for a glimpse of what was going on within. All he saw was red, wet, 
heavy red, coating the beautiful table and the antique chairs. The anguished screams turned to horrible laughter, like wild animals fighting over a meal. He begged Pachamama to return, to explain herself, to make it stop. And she must have been listening, because the horrible sounds stopped. Ferdinand's voice came through the wood, loud and clear. The doors were to be opened. Alfonso felt a shiver of apprehension run through him. Ferdinand's voice was commanding as ever. He certainly didn't sound like he'd suffered any sort of humiliation. But he also didn't sound like he'd seen some great bloody horror. Alfonso wondered if he should wait to open the door until he cooled down. Ferdinand's voice shook the door. Alfonso took a deep breath and turned the knob. He wasn't prepared for what he saw inside. This pristine cleaning work had been marred with gore. It was everywhere. The chairs, the walls, and even the ceiling was splattered with blood. Severed limbs lay across serving trays. Several guests were dead in their seats. Others were cowering in a corner, as far away from Ferdinand as possible. Ferdinand's white shirt had been stained crimson. Blood was smeared down his chin and neck. His teeth were a strange combination of white porcelain and pink liquid. He'd been eating something, but Alfonso didn't want to contemplate what it was. Ferdinand ordered Alfonso to take a seat. His legs shook as he stepped towards the dining table. Alfonso had to pull a corpse aside to even reach a chair. But Ferdinand redirected him. He wanted the master's seat didn't he? Alfonso wanted to shake his head, but he was too frightened to do anything other than follow Ferdinand's instructions. He passed by his wild-eyed employer and sat down, feeling the warm splash of blood and loose viscera against his pants. Silently, he prayed to Pachamama to help him. Dev appeared just beyond Ferdinand's shoulder. Her eyes shone with delight. Maybe she wasn't Pachamama at all. She was something far more sinister. Someone was breathing against his neck. Sweat dripped down from his forehead. He didn't know what to expect. Ferdinand told him to try the soup. Alfonso's voice caught in his throat. He wasn't sure he could speak, let alone swallow. But Ferdinand left no room for resistance or debate. Alfonso took the spoon in a trembling hand, bringing the soup to his lips. The sinister woman smiled. Ferdinand did too. The door slammed shut on its own, locking him inside. And the maids watched through the keyhole as the master resumed his meal. The story goes that a rich Spaniard built a home on Dervaspa's cursed ground. He was a cruel master, and his servants at La Casa Matasita hoped to teach him a lesson by serving him a hallucinogenic drug at a dinner party. Some say the whole group was affected, while others say just the master. Either way, the outcome was horrific. The servants opened the doors to the dining room to see that the guests had been ripped to pieces. The terrified servants were either institutionalized or took their own lives, depending on the teller of the tale. 
The legend of the disastrous dinner party is perhaps La Casa Matisita's most famous story. It certainly appears to be the source of some of the most common reports of paranormal activity at the building. From raucous conversations to anguished cries and sudden silences that echo through the top floor. These noises are often so loud they can be heard on the street, even while the building was abandoned. The story goes that if you peek in the window, you'll wish you didn't. Visions of the gore and debauchery still appear to prying eyes. They're said to be so horrifying that people have been institutionalized after seeing these images. Coming up, a man takes a bet to stay overnight at La Casa Matisita, but he soon discovers the dangerous cost of pride. Now back to the story. There's plenty of dark history at La Casa Matisita in Lima, Peru, from a witch's curse to two different legends of domestic slaughter. It's no wonder that witnesses report disturbing yells, screams, and visions of grotesque gore when they investigate or even pass by the house. But some people just don't know how to leave well enough alone. Sometime in the 1960s, an Argentine comedian named Humberto Vilches Vera decided to take on La Casa Matasita himself. He discovered that the house's history was no laughing matter. Berto was quite possibly the funniest person that ever lived. Nothing scared him. He was the debunker of frauds, the savior of spirits, the killer of the dead. Well, he was still workshopping that one. Either way, he was about to make history, proving what La Casa Matasita really was, a fraud. A story teenagers tell each other, nothing more. The stories weren't exactly comedic gold. Bit too much blood and gore for that. But it was a haunted house above a bank. Really, the quips about capitalism wrote themselves. The owner let him and the camera crew in at half past eight. It caused quite the hubbub as cars stopped along the main thoroughfare to watch him go in. He waved and told them good-naturedly that the park across the street would be far more interesting than what he was doing before heading inside. It was dingy and dark as he mounted the steps. The broken French doors and engravings looked skeletal in the dark. The crew set up their lights. They brought a generator, but there might be no need for it. The downstairs was a working business after all. Berto remarked that he loved a haunted house with an electric bill. The sound guy laughed patiently and went back to work. Berto told him he didn't have to feed his ego, just the ghosts. He was met with silence. There was a lot of silence in the following hours, then the following days. It was strange, considering they were at a major interchange. Avenida Espana was a divided street, as was Avenida Garcilaso de la Vega. It was the gateway to Juana Alarco de Damar Park and its many museums. The place usually bustled, but somehow, Climbing the stairs of La Casa Matisita always felt like entering a tomb, even in the bright light of day. If Berto was honest with himself, he would say he was running low on jokes, the silence finally getting to him. Luckily, he was never honest with himself, so the show could go on. He told the crew a night alone might be in order. He would keep a recorder nearby, 
but he was starting to consider that he might need to come up with his own scene. The place was unnerving, but not haunted. Not scary, but not silly either. He also wished the owner's wife would stop hanging around. At least, he assumed she was his wife. She really lurked around like she owned the place, her disapproving eyes roving over the loud cameraman and fussy sound team. Whenever he was about to mention her to his producer, though, it somehow slipped his mind. Instead, he focused on his night alone, locked in, just him and his hilarious brain. Darkness closed in, bringing the silence along with it. Though headlights should have danced past the windows, there was only darkness in the panes, like still water in a cave. Berto set himself to thinking, but he couldn't help feel like he wasn't quite alone. He had made it clear to the owner that he wasn't to be disturbed, but clearly the man hadn't listened. There was his wife staring at him, her eyes glittering orange and red in the darkness. Berto told her he appreciated his fans, but he was trying to work. She didn't move. She didn't blink. She only smiled. Berto told her she wasn't giving the place color and that she needed to leave. The room plunged into darkness. He struck a match to light a cigarette, annoyed. All this was easily faked. She was overplaying her hand. Something stirred under his shirt. He felt long, red-hot nails slide down his back, searing his skin. His back arched. The pain was gone just as quickly as it had come. He reached his fingers under his shirt. There was no sear, no wound. Now that was strange. But perhaps the discomfort of the previous three nights was playing tricks on him. The match went out, leaving only the pale ash of a cigarette in the dark. Berto breathed in deep, catching the last remnants of the smoke as it floated in the air. He paused to show that he wasn't afraid of the dark, then took another puff to bring back that soothing orange glow. A light voice echoed in the darkness, somewhere between mocking and greeting. It asked him for his favorite joke. Berto cocked his head, wondering what kind of prank this was supposed to be. But he did as he was asked. He workshopped material, half pacing in the dark as he stumbled through it. He made a joke about the Inca. It was in poor taste, but he was only trying things out. He felt the red-hot nails at the nape of his neck this time, ripping, tearing away skin. He winced, then exhaled, telling himself he was just tired. But every drop of sweat salted the raw wound. He was annoyed now. If there were ghosts, he'd gotten the point. But the wife saw fit to keep punishing him. Why? As if in answer, the voice echoed in the space, asking him if he knew what a joke really was, if he saw how the world worked. Well, that's what comedians were meant to do, after all. Hold a mirror up to nature and throw a pie at it. But the questions got stranger, more lurid. Each time he gave an answer the voice didn't like, the nails raked across his back or his forearm, then his face. He bristled at the woman, telling her not to harm the merchandise. A dark laugh filled the room, that of a woman, but also 
nothing like a woman at all. Berto swallowed. It wasn't funny anymore. Perhaps it had never been. He could admit when he was wrong. He'd leave the strange presence be. But she didn't want him to leave. Not yet. Not when they were really getting somewhere. What was funny about death? What was funny about destruction? She asked Berto if he knew what death was. As she said this, the door down below closed on its own, lock clicking into place. Berto had tried bravery and bargaining. He decided to be honest. He'd learned his lesson. He was ready to leave. He found his hands clasping behind him of their own accord, bound by an invisible rope. He felt something tug at his wrists, and he was lifted upwards by his arms, hovering in midair, four feet above the ground. Berto began to scream then. The pain was excruciating. All the while, the woman that was not a woman laughed and laughed and laughed. Berto screamed again, pleading. Didn't she see that he'd learned? The voice kept laughing. She hadn't seen anything worth looking at in a long, long time. That was why she'd turned out the lights. She didn't care. Who needed lights when you had fire? Berto writhed, screaming as his hands raised ever higher. He felt the heat below and around him. Orange flames licked his clothes and skin. He begged, he pleaded, but the woman only laughed. This was her house, she explained, and he was a guest. He'd been a very bad one, and now it was time to pay. The flames flared and roared. Berto screamed. He heard someone struggling with the door downstairs, slamming into it with all their might. All he could do was pray as the flames rose again. The history of La Casa Matasita is one of communal memory. Most of the evidence to support the legends predates standard historical records or was easily lost considering Peru's persistent state of political tumult in the 20th century. But that isn't true in the case of Humberto Vilches Vera. The Argentine presenter hosted a show called Los Fantasmas Se Divierten, or Ghosts Have Fun, on Peruvian television in the 1970s. Vilches Vera agreed to an on-air bet to stay on the second floor of La Casa Matasita for a week. Rumors say he didn't even come close to managing it. After only a few hours, neighbors contacted the police because they heard horrible screams coming from the building. The presenter was reported to have been carried out, thrashing and speaking in tongues. Locals say that he underwent psychiatric treatment at an inpatient facility for 13 months before returning to the air, never speaking of the house again. Apparently, in an autobiography published shortly before his death, Vilches Vera says that the whole thing was a publicity stunt and that he'd never entered the house at all. There is one last legend surrounding La Casa Matasita that bears repeating, even though it's not quite as ghostly. According to some locals, the U.S. Embassy in Lima used to stand directly across from La Casa Matasita. Many of the building's more skeptical neighbors suggest 
that American counterintelligence agents planted the Grizzly stories in order to dissuade enemy operatives from setting up opposite the embassy for either surveillance or terrorism. Whether the stories are true or not, La Casa Montecita has a magnetism all its own. It's been renovated recently, so it's hard to know what spirits remain. It will always loom large in its small neighborhood in Lima. A new coat of paint can't cover up the stench of blood. Restored floors do not dampen the ghostly footsteps, and screams still echo through the empty halls at night. If you visit Lima, it's definitely worth a look, but best to stay outside. You know what happens when you look in the window. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back on Thursday with a new episode. And don't forget to come back on Tuesday for our Urban Legends series, available only on Spotify. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Haunted Places, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Haunted Places on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Haunted Places in the search bar. I'll see you next time. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Kenny Hobbs. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Lildy Ritter and Jennifer Rache, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Greg Polson. Remember to follow Incredible Feats for mind-reeling stories of strength, focus, and achievement. Comedian and podcaster Dan Cummins hosts, bringing his signature humor to these extreme accounts. You might be glad you've never lived these stories, but you'll love hearing them. Subscribe to Incredible Feats free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts.